again and welcome to the Bold Love Podcast with Pastor Bob Roberts Jr. Here we highlight the uncommon journeys of bridge builders and peacemakers that are living out their faith in the public square by boldly loving their neighbor and working together to build resilient communities. Our goal here on the Bold Love Podcast is to encourage you, the listener, to live out your faith boldly, to learn how to better love your neighbor and how to relate to others despite your differences without compromising your faith. My name is Josh Tate, and man, we are so excited to welcome you back for another season of the Bold Love Podcast. Whether you're a seasoned listener or this is your first time, we're so thankful that you have come across our podcast today, and we hope you've had a chance to hear some of the great conversations in season one and season two. If not, shame on you, and we encourage you to go back and listen to those because we promise that it will bless you and it will be entertaining for you, so go back and take a listen. But we are especially excited about season three. We feel it's going to be so special. The theme for this season is unlikely because we are living in such a time of polarization and fear like few times in American history, in global history, actually. Uh, The fear between face we believe shouldn't be something that causes us to destroy one another in the world in which we live, but really to understand one another so we can move forward toward building flourishing and resilient communities together. So that's what we're going to focus on this season, on moving from a conversation about other faiths to a conversation with other faiths, a conversation that allows us to hear from those that are different from us, that are from different faiths, that are from different worldviews, different ideas, and it'll help shape the way we communicate what we believe and to understand what others believe. So whether you're a religious leader like a pastor or imam or rabbi, or an everyday person of faith. Man, this is your chance to understand the realities of faith in the 21st century and in the public square. And so to launch season three, we're gonna do something a little bit different. We're gonna turn the mic on our host and put Pastor Bob in the hot seat. So I get a chance to talk with Pastor Bob on current events and crises around the globe, how he developed relationships with leaders and influential people around the world, insights and story behind his very wild path to where he is now. And then the one thing that he is most excited about in 2022, But before we dive into this very entertaining interview, we want to ask a favor. Like most podcasts, we are able to make these impactful conversations happen with the support of partnering organizations and individuals like you. If you felt led to support these conversations, you can do so now by giving at support.boldlovepodcast.com. Whether it's a single gift or a monthly donation, we would be so incredibly thankful and blessed if you would choose to support us to continue these types of conversations. So now I want to welcome the host and interviewee this week of the Bold Love Podcast, Pastor Bob Roberts Jr. So Bob, welcome to the hot seat. Are you ready? Josh, I am so dang excited. I don't know what to do. Ask me whatever you want. Ask me about my mother, my grandmother. You want to ask me about the Alamo? Come on, man. Let's talk about the most important story of American history. Well, I don't know if we'll go down go down the road of Alamo, but I'm not going to give you any softball questions. I can tell <laughs> <Okay>. you that. <laughs> so I'm gonna good. I'm going to start you off with a heavy question. Actually, um, what's going on in our world? We have unrest in Afghanistan, arguments over Afghan refugees, and how to care for them and treat them in the U.S. Nigeria is in an unstable place. 
Sudan with its second coup issues and extreme concerns with the treatment of Uyghurs. Then you have anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, extreme political polarization in the U.S., and then famine and food crisis just at our heels. And Bob, I could go on and on about all these issues. So how do we make sense of all of this? We are living in the most volatile period that we've known for about 150 years. Now, we're also living in a very blessed period. There's transportation, uh, cars, airplanes, food, education. Uh, Despite the challenges, there are some really good things that we have that people in history have never had. But the reality is, instead of lifting us up, it's putting us at one another's throats. We're polarized. We're tribal. And, And the thing is, Josh, we can't ignore it. A lot of times we think, oh, we've been here before. Don't worry about it. We haven't been here before. There's never been a time in the history of the world when it's been more globalized than it is right now. And globalization is not just about economics. It's about how we relate to one another. And so used to it was Christians in the West, Muslims in the Middle East, Buddhists in the Far East. That's not our world anymore. Everyone is everywhere. Every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every religion, every creed, it's everywhere. And we're used to living with boundaries that are, very dis- I, that are very descriptive of our identities. We're not used to living with one another in a public sort of way. And, and that's what's going on. And we don't know how to do that. We can't ignore it. We have to respond. And so what that means, it's going to demand an intentional, long-term, strategic, alliance-building kind of activity that pulls us together. The new platform in our world, the old ways of relating in a bygone era that no longer exists are no longer relevant and they just won't work. Don't hear me saying my faith does not work. My faith does work. But how I communicate my faith, how I talk about my faith, even how I relate to other people, no, it's gotta be radically different. Mm. Everyone is present. Everyone is listening. You no longer have a conversation just with your tribe. So so with those concerns and with those, everyone needs to have one conversation. How do you relate that to the theme of this first season that we're having, which we're calling unlikely? How do you tie all that together? Well, we're living in an unprecedented time. It's very unusual. It's unreal in a lot of way, in a lot of ways. And, And I would just say, There are two questions that we have to examine if we're going to survive in unlikely. Number one, who are we talking to? And in the past, Christians primarily talked to Christians. And the reality is it's still that way. Josh, it hasn't changed as much as we would like to think it has. Everybody talks about missional. But how many people live a missional life related to their next door neighbor, Mm -hmm. related to people of different faiths? We got all these missional conferences, but... Very few people live in that context. So in an unlikely thing, it's who do we relate to? Christians, Muslims, Jews, Buddhists, atheists, agnostics, people in LGBTQ lifestyles. We're going to relate to everyone. The question is, are we going to relate in a healthy way or not? Mm -hmm. And, And then the next thing is, so what do we do with these relationships? What are they about? And I contend it's about serving the common good. Mm-hmm. But in order to serve the common good, we've got to learn to talk in the public square. And we do not know how to do that. 
We know how to state our positions and say, we're right, you're wrong, we'll disagree with you. That, that is an old school form of communication that is a winner take all, uh, you know, some total. And, and I don't think that works anymore. In the public square, we need to be able to say, this is the truth that I believe and I pattern my life by. And in this truth, it does make room for you. Now, you may not be a Christian. You may reject the cross and Jesus and all that we're talking about, but I still should be a blessing to you. It still should be a positive thing. And so what we're going to have to relate around is how do we serve the city? Mm-hmm. What are the things of common good? What are moral issues that we can agree on? And so as we work together and as we move together, I think it's going to define what we do. I mean, who would have thought about doing religious freedom where I go with an imam in the Middle East? I was raised where religious freedom was a bunch of white guys from the U.S. going to another country, telling them what they're doing wrong. I don't do that. I go with Majid. Majid knows how to speak to Muslims. He is a Muslim. Majid knows how to speak to Africans. He's, he's from Sudan. And so when we go and we work together, we do things that I could never do by myself. Mm. That's very foreign to us because we think about, okay, we Christians are banding together to respond to this. No, it ought to be we Christians and Muslims and Jews are banding together because we share this common concern. Mm -hmm. So that's just one of the ways that is going to change how we relate, not just your tribe. You're going to relate to issues with many tribes. Well, that's good. And you know, a lot of people jumping to multi-faith, since you talked a lot about multi-faith and relating to one another, you have an organization called Multi-Faith Neighbors Network. Talk to me a little bit about why multi-faith is a challenge for so many evangelicals. You know, evangelical Christians are not historically known to be involved in interfaith, primarily because there's fear of sacrificing their evangelical distinctives. So, Talk us through why Christians should develop those relationships like you just talked about, and what's the purpose of that multi-faith engagement and what comes out of that? Multi-faith is a pretty new word. Uh, Many people define it, frankly, multiple different ways. But evangelicals don't go to interfaith events or activities. Mm -hmm. There are several reasons for it. Number one, uh, they're exclusivist. We believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Now, that's a direct quote from Jesus. Mm -hmm. So if I believe the Bible, what do I do with that? Either I accept it or I reject it, or I say Jesus didn't know what he was talking about, which is problematic because as Christians, we believe Jesus is God, and he came to reveal who God was and and to be very clear in what he had to say. And so I think for evangelicals, um, we're exclusivist. And so as a result of that, we don't want to be viewed as bigoted. Because it's not we're saying we're better than you because we're Christians. It's just saying we've accepted this truth that Jesus said. I think another reason is we don't want to be perceived as one of those who believes all roads lead to heaven. And you can't differentiate with religions. I think that's a big deal. I think there's also a fear of compromise. People worry. Are they going to have to give up what they believe? Multi-faith doesn't do that. We want you to passionately hold on to your faith. I was with an imam yesterday, and he was introducing me to a group of imams, and he said, Bob believes in multi-faith. We don't like interfaith either, Bob. He believes in multi-faith. So for Bob, 
We can be passionate Muslims who believe Bob is going to hell and he's still going to love us. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. He, he gets it. And, you know, they all started laughing, but it's like the tension just went down in the room. It's as if we don't want to say anything negative about one another or anything that elevates us above anybody else and what we believe because we're worried about how we'll be perceived. We do not want you to compromise on what you believe, whatever religion you are. If anything, tell us. Mm-hmm. But why, why is it, Josh, we have to get angry with one another for disagreeing? Right. And mom asked me yesterday, why is it, Bob, we can't share our faith with one another and just not get angry about it? I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. So you see truth defined by what the prophet Muhammad taught. I see truth as defined by who Jesus said that he was. Those are two separate systems and ways of finding God. I'm not giving up on mine. And I believe what Jesus said, and he wouldn't give up on his either. Yeah, that's great. And and that's really a lot lot of the core work that you've been involved in lately, right? Is is tying that together for the common good of communities and flourishing communities and things like that. And, And really it's those commonalities are all around serving and serving those in need, which is an awesome connection. Another thing, Bob, tying back to unlikely, I know that you and I have had a lot of conversations surrounding that word specifically, unlikely. What does, why is that word special for you? Or, or tell us some stories behind that word and what it means to you. I love the word because here's the thing. Wasn't it Peter Drucker who said, doing the same thing in the same way, expecting different results is insanity. Mm-hmm. And the issues of religious freedom and how do we relate and how do we get along doesn't work anymore. I mean, we live in a radically different world in a radically different context than those who preceded us. And yet we're trying to communicate in the same ways. It doesn't work. Mm. So if we're going to get along, it's not a matter of us having a conversation among our individual tribes. We're going to have to reach outside our tribes. So to get along, used to all I had to do is get along with other Christians and be united around what our mission was. That's not enough anymore. I've got to be able to have a relationship with that Muslim. Never worked with a Muslim before. Religious freedom, all I needed to do was quote John Leland or, mm-hmm. or, or Roger Williams. You know, this is what the great Baptists believed and what they taught. Well, I need to know the Marrakesh Declaration right. that Sheikh bin Bayer wrote, where they have a document that's equally as strong in religious freedom based on the Quran. That document is going to hold more sway in the 56 Muslim-majority nations than Thomas Jefferson or anything that my scriptures teach mm-hmm. because they're Muslim. And so I like unlikely because here's what we do want. We want the same thing. In that instance, what do we want? We want religious freedom. But I can't expect people to endorse religious freedom based on the premises of Christianity. I'm a Christian. They're not. I like unlikely because it's people that we would never think of in terms of, of dealing with the situation. I'll never forget, Josh. There was a Christian that was uh, in jail uh, because of a, uh, a ruler that put him there, and it was an Islamic country. And all of these Christians were bragging about what they were doing, but I was literally standing there as people from another country that were Muslims were literally on the phone with the leader of that country. And they were saying, you need to let this man out. 
because, you know, there's a lot of Christians here that are working for religious freedom for Muslims. They're pushing against Islamophobia. This is not good what you've done. Right. It's hurting you. It's hurting us. It needs to be done. Now, all the Christians were patting themselves on the back, all taking credit. Each one, the guy never would have gotten freed had it not been for that one. <laughs> right. But the people who made the biggest difference didn't say a word. Mm. That's unlikely. Yeah. I See, I mean, here a pastor is getting out because of Muslims. Yeah. yeah. Unlikely path there. I think, too, you know, when we were uh, brainstorming, I think the word unlikely, the reason why you liked it so much is because you've kind of had this unlikely path, right? Oh, my grown God. Up, grown up in East Texas. Yeah. You're an evangelical pastor. You're getting all these relationships with people of other faith. Um, so tell us a little bit about how, how did you get involved in that? And what kind of unlikely path led you to, to this? You, you know, Josh, I like to say I planned for a life that never came. And I experienced a life that I never dreamed. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I was young. I, w- I was 13 when I preached my first sermon. My dad pastored these little Baptist churches. I mean, I was, I was the epitome of on fire for God. Friday night, I'd play football at some school with the Lindell Eagles. And then, I mean, then I'd preach to whatever First Baptist Church town we were in, you know, and get all those kids riled up and say, I will say evangelism was more effective if we lost than if we won. <laughs> and that's why our team lost so much. It was for the gospel. That's right. You needed Jesus a little bit more that night. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. But anyhow, so what happened was my dad pastored in these little bitty towns in East Texas. They got to understand East Texans are some of the greatest people you'll ever meet. Great values, great morals, hard, hard workers, strong mm-hmm. ethics. But man, they're tribal. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you moved to Lindale and you hadn't had at least two generations there, you were an outsider. And if you moved from Lindale 10 miles down the road to Mineola, you were an outsider. Mm-hmm. You had to start all over again. So given my dad, I was in seven towns by the time I was 14. Wow. I had to learn, how do you go in where you're not wanted? How do you go in as the outsider? So that helped me. Mm-hmm. But that, that was hard. But there were several good things because my dad was a preacher and I since got early on in my life uh, calling me to preach. I knew what I was going to do. So I quickly went to college and quickly got out and I quickly went to seminary and I quickly got out. I was out of seminary by the time I was 21. And I mean, I did everything in record speed. Uh, by the time I was 24, I was on staff at a mega church when there were only 30 mega churches. Mm-hmm. And that senior pastor was talking to me about taking over after him, which that's that's another story. Mm-hmm. But anyhow, I, I think all of that came together. And what I did, here's what happened. I knew where I was going and I was so committed to it. And the path was so mapped out in my mind that I wasted no time doing everything that was necessary to get there. And I got there super young. Mm. I understood the Bible. I understood theology. I understood the Great Commission. I understood what it meant to pastor a large church and the things that you had to do. Josh, I did not understand the world. Mm. I didn't understand people. In my mindset, the world was lost without Christ, so it wasn't worth trying to understand. Just get them to Jesus. Cultures didn't matter. Governments didn't matter. Religions didn't matter. Ethics didn't matter. If you didn't have Jesus, you didn't have nothing. So just ignore all that. You just bulldoze 
over everybody. But I stumbled into the world. Mm. Remember I said I moved around all over the place? That served me well when I went to Vietnam. Because I'm a young guy in my 30s, and our church has adopted it, and I'm going back and forth, and I'm used to being an outsider. So I learned how to go ahead and talk and get to know people and, and befriend them. But when I started working with the Vietnamese, particularly the Vietnamese government, I learned how cities function, how governments function, how people function. I learned so much how, how, how foreign ministries function. And all of that, I, I just began to realize I understood the gospel, but I didn't understand people or the world. And there was a major disconnect between the gospel and the world. So it's as if picture that I follow Jesus and I know the gospel and the gospel is all in French, but the world spoke Spanish. (laughs) I knew nothing about Spanish. What good is it to know the gospel if I can't translate from French to Spanish? Right. I was a lousy translator, (laughs) but God made up for it. And I got to know people and I actually liked them. Josh, I remember the first time I became friends with a communist. Yeah. Scared me to death. I bet. Jesus, am I going to hell? (laughs) This guy's an atheist. He's a communist. I like him. And the office that you're in right now, Mm -hmm. I remember sitting in that office with him, with another staff member about 15 years ago. And we're talking about Jesus and how we're going to help Vietnam and all this stuff. So I think I kept stumbling into the world. I got to know commies and I got to know Muslims. and I got to know the Middle East and the Far East and the Near East and Africa and South America and I realized this world was phenomenal. And I just think for me, I was curious. I'm not a pioneer, Josh. A pioneer takes what already exists and starts it somewhere else. I'm an explorer. Mm. I like to go places where people haven't been. And for the most part, the world's been discovered, but not cultures. Oh, wow. And how people think. That's the new frontier. That's good. That's and so when you're an explorer, you go, you listen. You take what you've got, you laugh, but man, do you learn to listen to other people. I was in a particular town. I better not tell you where. Somebody may freak out. But we would sit up late. We would work during the day. This is a Muslim place. And they would say to me at night, and it was a very difficult place, so they didn't have any electricity oftentimes, no clean water. It was tough. Uh, But they had these nice houses uh, with no electricity or water. And they would say, Tell us stories about your Bible. So I would. But then I learned something very important, Josh. I started asking them, now tell me stories from the Quran. Mm -hmm. Josh, they went crazy. And then more stories from the Bible. And I began to learn, if I want to understand the world, I don't just talk and give them my worldview and what I think. I've got to listen to them. Mm. And I think that's what happened. I just gradually got to know people. I had fun with them. I remember going to Afghanistan for the first time. I thought they were teasing me when they said, now eat with your hands. No, my mother beat my butt many times saying, "Uh uh-uh, you can't do that, Bobby Jean. Get your, (laughs) get your, get your, your, use your fork. Yeah. It's culture. It's culture, mom. That's right. Deal with it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to doubt the, uh, the unlikely. Maybe we should change it to quickly. You said quickly so many times. Maybe it's, uh, <laughs> should we change it quickly? But uh, no, that's a moment. Yeah, there you go. No, hearing, hearing, and obeying is a lot of it as well, too. I would bet. Um, so another connection uh, as we're talking through unlikely, um, 
it has a, a tie actually to an upcoming event that's coming to, to DFW that you're a part of and that you're running in March. So tell us, what is the Global Faith Forum with their theme, Unlikely? What's that gathering about? What's the significance of the magnitude of people coming together? It's a big deal, Josh. They said it never been done before. Mm. Dr. Muhammad Alalisa, probably one of the top five Muslims in the world, president of the Muslim World League, the largest NGO in the world, a couple of years ago, crafted a statement called the Mecca Declaration, uh, which promotes tolerance, respect, getting along, uh, the freedom to practice your faith, a lot of different things, the empowerment of women, many, many different things. Uh, He became a friend of mine. Mm. And I've known him for about five, maybe six years. And he he and I were talking and he was telling me about it. I said, you know what? You ought to bring that to my church. I said, have you ever been to an evangelical church? He said, never. I said, well, why don't you come to our church? You read the document and let us respond to it. Mm. I said, there's never been a large gathering of evangelicals and Muslims deliberately for the purpose of getting to know one another and then working together. What do you think? He went crazy over it. Wow. And so that's what we're doing. And so in a nutshell, he's going to read the Mecca Declaration. We're going to have copies of for everyone when they come in. And the majority of Islamic nations have signed on, all 53 of them. They support the Mecca Declaration. And so he's going to come. He's going to read it. And uh, Rima Zinat is going to come and speak. Christine Kane mm-hmm. is going to come and speak. David Beasley, who spoke at our church, who loves Jesus, and is the head of the World Food Program and just won the Nobel Peace Prize for his right. work. He'll be here. Walter Kim, the president of the National Association of Evangelicals, will be here. John Jenkins, uh, my pastor and close friend, will be here. I mean, we've got men and women and Mm -hmm. uh, Sam Brownback, the ambassador for religious freedom under uh, uh, President Trump will be here. Uh, Ambassador Saperstein, who held that same office under uh, President Obama will come. And Rashad Hussein, uh, the new ambassador for religious freedom under President Biden, who I've known for about 15 years, he'll be here. And so we're coming together and we're saying, hey, we believe in religious freedom, but there ought to be more of it than just saying we're going to tolerate one another and get along. What are we going to do to work together? Mm. And so that night, uh, we're going to have Muslim and Christian and Jewish young people all come together, put meals together. Yeah, it's primarily an event where Muslims and evangelical Christians are coming together, but our Jewish friends are coming as well. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to have the young people put foods together uh, before the event. Yeah, to let them help hungry people here in the Metroplex. And then we're going to have the event. And uh, the next day, we're going to have pastors and imams and rabbis and multi-faith neighbors network from about 15 cities that are going to be present. Talk about all the projects they're doing and what it's going to be a blast. Now, it sounds like a big deal and an all-star lineup right there for you. So so looking looking at the Global Faith Forum website, it talks about um, modeling moving uh, from a conversation about other faiths. To a conversation with other faiths. It's not about white papers, but about building relationships and grassroots action. So one would ask, why? Why gather? Why? What's what's the, what's a successful um, outcome to, to gathering together at something like this? I'd say number one, 
build relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reality is most Christians don't even know a Muslim. And most Muslims are afraid to engage a Christian. Yeah. And the same with Jews. So I would say, number one, relationships. Number two, we're talking about something that we all care about. Religious freedom and tolerance and respect. Number three, we're talking about doing a project together. Josh, I think this is one of the biggest principles of missiology in the 21st century. That's a shift like no other century. You know what it is? What's that? From us doing things to people Mm -hmm. and for people to us doing things with people. So instead of us showing up and saying, we're going to be the proponents of religious freedom, all of us white evangelicals that have believed this for many years, we can only take it so far. This document, Dr. Alalisa, the Muslim World League, they can take it further in Muslim cases than we ever could. This is a big deal. Yeah. So, so it's, it's an opportunity to redefine. Here's another reason you ought to come. Where else can you go and experience this? Right. It doesn't exist. There's, hey, people, there's not an every year conference for this. You can go to about 40 church planning conferences, tons of conferences on how to preach, tons of conferences on marriages, tons of conferences on being, you know, deep into being a missional person. Where else are you going to go to an event where you hear from evangelical Christians, Islamist leaders, Jewish leaders from all over the world? Doesn't exist. Right. If you're going to go to it, you're going to have to come to this. And so it's an opportunity to meet people. Let me tell you something. Dr. Alalisa, he's a cool dude. I love that guy. I mean, he had me bring about 10 prominent evangelical pastors and leaders together just recently. And they were all freaking out. It's a, I, I can't say about who in said a good what. Way. Freaking out oh, in, a good, in a good way. way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one of the pastors was just said, I can't believe you said you're saying this. Mm-hmm. I, I thought Muslims believe this. He said, who told you that? He was saying, no, that's not what we believe. Mm. And, and yes, maybe we've been wrong about this, but we're in the process of doing this. And the guy was just freaking out in a good way. And I looked at him and I said, do you have any concept on how much this would have impacted your ministry had you known this 20 years ago? Wow. And see, we're working in our ministry off a lot of presuppositions that are just false and wrong. You're going to be able to come and talk and find out. And there's just nowhere else you can do it. By the way, uh, Dr. Alalisa is a pretty progressive guy in a lot of ways. Not liberal. Don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But he went to Auschwitz. That's one of the first things he did. He went to Auschwitz with a bunch of Muslim leaders. He acknowledged the Holocaust happened and told the rest of the Islamic world they needed to acknowledge it as well. Do you realize how much courage that took? Yeah. Josh, it didn't stop there. You know what he did? Mm. He went to the monument and prayed. Oh, wow. Yeah, he got his own tribe upset with him. I'm used to that. So it made <laughs> me appreciate him. I thought, way to go. Yeah. So he's not just trying to promote the cause of Islam. He's a Muslim. Obviously, he cares about those things, but he cares about all of humanity. That's great. And so this is going to be an historic event, and that is March 6 and 7 at Northwood Church in Dallas-Fort Worth. You can go to globalfaithforum.com for more information there. So one last pitch for it. So you have some people that are on the fence about coming. Number one, who's invited and why should they come? Well, here's the thing I would say. Everybody can come. 
So if you're a Hindu or Buddhist, come on. Mm-hmm. You know, Josh, the strangest thing, we've done events at our church before, never on a national scale, just the right. local level. But on a local level, it's amazing how many atheists come. Oh, wow. And they love it. Yeah. You know, they said, you know what? If you guys all say you believe in God, I'm, I want to see what this looks like. Mm. So we've literally had atheists come. So anyone can come. And, and we encourage anyone to come. Uh, one of the cool things is, as you see what's going on, we're literally going to do some projects together. Yeah. So maybe you're going to go home and you're going to say, hey, I want to connect with the Muslim community or the Christian community or the Jewish community. Doesn't matter. We'll help you do that. And we can do a lot of fun stuff together. We're actually more about this later. We're looking at a very tough nation that we're going to adopt together. Mm. And it's Muslims and Christians. We're going to go and try to bring down the tension. It's going to be a blast. So information, globalfaithforum.com. You can get all the information there and you can even, and it's free. It's free to come. So you can uh, save your spot at globalfaithforum.com. So last question for you, Pastor Bob. Um, Obviously, we're super excited about this upcoming event. We're excited about the upcoming season here of Bold Love Podcast. What what else are you hopeful for in the future? We, We started off the podcast talking about a lot of problems and a lot of concerns and a lot of issues. Then we started talking about building relationships and how that's going to work in the public square. What is your hope and what are you excited about? Well, there's been a lot of movement in the last 20, 30 years at the point of religious freedom. And I think a lot of it started uh, back in 98 when President Clinton established the Office of International Religious Freedom at the State Department. And so what what I'm optimistic about is we've talked about religious freedom. We've challenged countries that don't have it. We've been giving declarations. I think we're at at phase 2.0. And phase 2.0 is not just acknowledging that you should possess it, but moving from religious freedom to religious responsibility. Mm. How do we share, all of us, people of faith, a sense of responsibility for what's happening in our country, for what's happening around the world. And what I really get excited about is how we're going to work together. Mm. Josh, let me tell you one story. Multi-Faith Neighbors Network, uh, where we did one of our retreats in Seattle, the imam who was at the retreat, uh, he had a white supremacist burn his mosque down. Oh, man. It's bad. Well, the pastor, the evangelical pastor who was also there, heard what was going on, and got in his car, got over to the mosque as quick as he could, and stood with him while it burned. Oh, man. And then he handed him the keys to his church. Wow. And said, if you need somewhere to go pray, go pray in there. Mm. That's what I want to see, Josh. Now, let me tell you what else. Did you know 13 churches, Catholic church included, wound up volunteering to do the same thing? Oh, my goodness. Sadly, the Catholic church was burned down in retaliation for helping the mosque. Mm. This is the world that we live in. I want a new story. Mm. I want stories like that story. Yeah. Oh, I want the stories, you know, we're working with refugees and how we had close to 15,000 boxes put together Mm -hmm. for those 120,000 refugees that are coming with all our cities working together, taking all the refugee boss to the mosque because, sorry, most of them are going to be there. That's what I want. I want new stories yeah. of people standing up for one another. That's what I want. And I think this is a great uh, road towards that. 
right? Uh, even though you might believe a certain thing about your own faith, but coming together for the common good is from what you're saying is where kind of we need to start and we need to move forward on. So Pastor Bob, thank you so much. How did it feel being in the hot seat interview wise? You know, Josh, I just want to say it would have been better with a big old bowl of bluebell ice cream. Oh, is that right? And a peach fried pie. But <laughs> hey, dude, you're a great interviewer. Oh, come on. And, hey, let me just say this, Josh Tate. Mm-hmm. You're the most incredible communications guy I've ever known good. in my life. Dude, uh, hey, listen to me, people. This guy has come into our organization and blessed it in ways and put us forward and pushed our movement forward mm. in ways that I never would have dreamed possible. So thank you. Even when yes. I disagreed with you and said, no, Josh, I don't want us to do that. I said, but Bob, <laughs> we got to do it. No, Josh. But Josh won. Because I ain't paying you the big bucks to say no to what you say. But you were right. And yeah. I was wrong. No, it's a, it's, a, it's a huge honor, Bob. And I appreciate that. And, you know, here's one thing I can say. Man, do we have fun. We, we work do. hard. We play hard. And man, God's blessing it. So I appreciate you letting me join the team. Hey, so, glad you're here, dude. All right. I love you. Thanks. Love for, you, man. Go tell on. somebody about Jesus today. Thank you so much for listening to this insightful conversation and storytelling journey here with Pastor Bob. For more information on the podcast, including show notes and links and any references discussed in this conversation today, you can go to boldlovepodcast.com and you can get all the information there. Thank you so much again for joining us. And remember at the Bold Love Podcast, we want to encourage you to live out your faith boldly, learn how to better love your neighbor and how to relate to others despite your differences without compromising your faith. Have a great day.